Sports Report the daughter. We're here. <laughs> and if you don't know who we are, he is. Coming straight out of Jersey. Here. Mr. Logical. Yeah. Cutting off the legs of cows just to ground beef. Pardon? And then of course. <laughs> yes, that was what. And then of course, I am 2-5. And just so y'all know, before I get on these internets, I am clearing up my cookies. Uh, and I'm letting I... these naysayers know. <laughs> because I'm beating them down like the Panthers beat down the Bucks tonight. We're going to pick the national title game, the Michigan Wolverines and the Washington Huskies. I would have it no other way. Then we're going to talk about week 18, clinching scenarios. Who can win, get in? Who's going to win and get in? Somebody out there going to have a little something in their throat. And Mr. Logical hit me up. He said, yo, 2-5. I know you'll be watching the Pro Bowl. But I know you care. So we're going to talk about a few individuals who we feel got snubbed. And then finally, top it off with a little NIL discussion. What's going on in college football? Is it good for the sport? Is it bad for the sport? Get off my lawn. But of course, as always, we're going to start it off with a little something that we like to call Get It Off My Chest. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to start us off real quick. Or actually, you're going to start us off. Yeah. I'm going to start you off. Okay, 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 okay. All right, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to keep it simple. Um, Yeah, so Josh Allen should have been a pro bowl over Patrick Mahomes. It's that simple. I'm not even going to really get crazy about it. I'm going to simply flip it. I'm going to flip it. Just a simple, basic, blind resume. I should do this a lot of times in conversations with guys. When I would bring up like Carmelo, KD, uh, LeBron, and like D Wade, I would like listen. Take the blind resume. People are like, what do you mean? I remember when I was a young airman, there was this. Uh, there was a feeling that this award. It, many Air Force people know what I know. I know we go on these military tangents. I'm gonna keep this locked in. This is war called senior airman below the zone. Senior Airman for the Air Force is E4. So he goes E1 through E10, 10 being Chief Master of the Air Force. But you get you can get awarded to Senior Airman E4 early, six months early. There was this, this narrative that was being built in the maintenance community that if you're a female, you would get this award. No matter what, you put the package at the package, you know, document at 1206. It was an Air Force document, put up all your information on it. I had a supervisor tell me, uh, shout out to Dan Williams, one of my greatest supervisors ever. Daniel Williams pulled me to the side, chewed me out, give me the reasons why I learned from it. I appreciate it. Respect to this day. He told me, like, listen, they should put, it should be blank. The name should be blank. Your job should be there and what you did. They grade it. They give the score back. Someone has the names. And it says, okay, this person, because sometimes it can get skewed if it's a female's name at the top. I was like, that can't be, that can't be true. I'm a young, I'm 19 years old. I'm like, that can't be true. I'd learned through my career, it, it had a factor. 
it does factor in is like there's no denying it. And I feel like all-star selections, top 75 NBA, MVP candidacy, Heisman Trophy, if you took the school and the player's name off and just put the stats and they pulled from that stack, you would have a much more diverse, more eclectic group of names. If I told you there was two quarterbacks, very similar passing numbers, very similar win-loss records, very similar highs and lows throughout their season up to this point at 16 games completed. But one guy had 15 rushing touchdowns as from the quarterback position, and the other guy had zero. You would say the guy with the similar passing numbers, bonus 15 rushing touchdowns, will be your pro bowler. Well, we ignored all those rules because one guy has a head and shoulders commercial, State Farm commercial, Adidas deal, and he's won a couple MVPs. Patrick Mahomes should not be in the Pro Bowl over Josh Allen. It's that simple. If you if you took it, if you flipped it, and Josh Allen had Mahomes' numbers, and Mahomes had Josh Allen's numbers, and Josh Allen got in, people will be outraged. We got to stop fronting like things don't matter and only feelings do. Facts matter. Information matters. The information we have, if it was reversed, we know the outrage would be insurmountable. It'd be outrageous. It'd be like Pompeii 2024. If Josh Allen got in with zero rushing touchdowns and very similar passing numbers as Patrick Mahomes, if Patrick Mahomes had 15 quarterback sneaks from the one. Even though Josh Allen's touchdowns are various ways, seven yards here, eight yards here, 12 yards here, a, you know, a Buffalo tush push, you know, variant of what Philly does. But if the numbers were reversed and it straight up was 27 passing touchdowns, 15 rushing touchdowns for Mahomes, it'd be no doubt in my mind if Josh Allen got put in as a pro bowler over him, people would be outraged. I get that Buffalo does get a lot of acclaim and Buffalo does get a lot of hype every year, but their hype that they're given through the media outlets does not diminish what he actually did on the field with his feet, hands, arms, head, so forth and so on. Heads, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> and, you know, and I could have swore that before this conversation even started, I could have swore I was the Buffalo Bill guy. You know, just, you know, the tide has shifted, you know. Get it off my chest. So, there's a couple of things in life that I don't like. I don't like dumb assery. I don't like foolishness. And I don't like false equivalencies. So, a lot of this week, I've been seeing a lot of football fans, especially those that support HBCUs. They're upset at Coach Willie Simmons for leaving Florida A&M to take the running back position coach job at Duke. Right? 
and I get it on the surface. I get it. It's a coach leaving a HBCU position of a head coach going to be a position coach at a power five school that isn't necessarily at the top of the ranks. You know, like I don't think people would complain if he was going to Florida State or if he was going to an SEC school, maybe if he was going to Colorado to join Coach Prime. And I brought up Coach Prime's name for a reason, because there's your false equivalency, because everybody's equating him leaving Florida A&M to Coach Prime leaving Jackson State. Now, 2-5 is the kind of guy who will let all you naysayers know (laughs) that I ain't going to never hate on a man trying to raise his income. Now, with that being said, you still have to be true to yourself. You have to be who you are. Shout out to Marifa. You know what I'm saying? 365 Black App. You know what I'm saying? But you have to be true to yourself. This is the thing. When Dion left, he had to deal with people breaking into his stuff, taking his possessions. He had to deal with Jackson State making all this money that he wasn't seeing. 65, we sold out 28,000 people here. Where my money at? Yeah. Yeah. Now, where Dion lost some people was because he brought God into it. You know, he was talking about how God put him here to raise HBCUs. And then around the same time, we saw Eddie George go to Tennessee State. So we thought there was some kind of movement coming. Not a movement like Sports Reports is ordered because we the biggest movement since Dipset, but we thought <laughs> that a movement was coming. So Dion left. People felt that there was unfinished business. Now, when Coach Willie Simmons took over FAMU, FAMU was in the gutter. The MEAC was falling apart, and they were right at the bottom with the rest of the scum. And I use that loosely in football terms, you know. But anyway, here we are years later. FAMU is coming off of a Celebration Bowl win, national champions. He has coached at Clemson, Middle Tennessee State. He's been a coordinator at Alcorn State, three years at Prairie View A&M, six years at FAMU. So he has put in his time, 12 years total that he spent at HBCUs. Which Coach Prime gave us what two, three years, two years, two great didn't, years, Shout two great years. Out. Didn't win the Celebration Bowl though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <It may happen. laughs> now, happens. This is all I'm gonna say. This is all I'm gonna say. So back in 1978, when we had the split, Division One A, Division One AA, now known as FBS and FCS, Florida A&M won the first. Division I AA National Championship. HBCUs. Turn yourselves into destinations instead of homes. Because I can live in a house. I can pay the bills in a house. And I can be proud of my house. But if you're complaining about a head coach leaving a HBCU down in Tallahassee, Florida, then go and be a running back coach at a school in Durham, North Carolina, 
maybe you asking the wrong questions. Tobacco Road, baby. You know what I'm saying? He was making money at FAMU with the bonuses and everything. He's making about the same as a running back coach. That's just life. But I find it hard to criticize a coach that has spent 12 years within the HBCU ranks for leaving and getting something that's maybe a little bit better as far as financially. Maybe he won't have the culture that he had at FAMU. But you know what? But when he becomes an FC, a FBS coach, he can create that culture himself. He can create that culture, and you can say, that's one of our own. This is one of the guys who came up in our organization. That's the thing. You can't take ownership to the point where you want like dominance over people. You're like, yo, right. I built you up. Go fly. I'd rather you be a good supervisor somewhere else after I taught you some leadership skills Yeah. in lieu of being a good supervisor amongst the ranks of the people around me. I'm like, I got this. I, yeah. I'm, I'm impacting all this. I want you to go ahead and rise up out of this. And it's like, imagine your kid being real good at your house cooking food. I'm like, yo, go get your own house. <laughs> cook your food so I can come there and leave toothpaste stains all over your sink. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait. I'm, yeah, I'm, I can't we'll, wait for that day. And we'll look but, back in three or four years. We'll see where Jackson State is at that time. We'll see where FAMU is at that time. But for the time being, both of those coaches are getting you attention that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So sometimes you just got to take the wins where you can get them. So picking a champion. It's winning time. You know, 2-5 is up in here. Mad at himself because he jumped on this back before college game day came on, you know, back before there was a big Saturday noon on Fox. I came up in here mid-August and I told the world that Michigan was going to win the national title. I didn't believe him. And then I went against my own pick and picked Alabama to beat Michigan on some pseudo psychological babble but here we you are that, you weren't that far off we talked about it i mean it went to overtime Tuesday. you know what i mean like it wasn't as if michigan Ball was that pass on fourth and two the game's over right so <laughs> yeah I mean, so it wasn't it like michigan's dominated the game they did i right. it is what it is so who you rolling with uh i like what michigan did was doing against alabama i but i felt as if there was an opportunity to make an adjustment that was going to help Bama. And I don't know if they just, I think Bama was trying to kick down the front door when the side door was open. Okay. Just because they're so used to just using brunt force. Like we'll talk about the, the fourth down play in overtime. Mm-hmm. I think Jalen Miro was so used to his sledgehammer of offensive line because I think there was a wide receiver, two wide receivers, so that makes one, two, three, four. So I put six or seven guys near the line of scrimmage for Alabama on that last play. I think he was so used to just them 
being able to just be blunt force objects, pushing guys of the way, and he can just run into the hole and a crease would open up and his speed and momentum would get him to three yards. And if you're Washington, I think Washington would be like, this might not work. But what y'all are doing right here in front of me can't do anything for what I can do out here on the edge. Like if Alabama had a, had a mindset the way it can just drop back, he catches that snap and shotgun. And he can look right for a flat pass or the swing pass or the running back to the left or a tight end curling just inside the goal line and right in front of him. Those are all reasonable pass route concepts for Washington. And I think Penix hits those more than Milrow does. And I think that is the difference of the game. He's 20. He'll be 24 when the NFL season starts when he gets drafted. So he's an older quarterback, four or five years eligibility, you know, eligibility that he's used in college. I don't think he'll get rattled. Like I said, Colin Carhart gave me a stat that Caleb Williams got sacked more times this year than Michael Penix got sacked in his entire career. And this is, you know, Penix has been injured. So I just think that what Michigan was able to do against Alabama, it took the last, essentially their last two drives were the two best drives of the game. So you're looking at 55 and a half minutes gone before they got the ball back to get that drive to tie the game and then overtime. So for 55 minutes of a game that we could, people have poked holes in Alabama all week about how Milro couldn't do this and Alabama couldn't do this. And even Nick Saban talked about his own coaching job. Like, yeah, I wish I would have done a better job coaching. I'm like, literally, if you, if you kind of knew, not necessarily knew, but if you were on the running back on that fourth and two, maybe it's a short gain. Michigan wasn't really doing great from third down in the whole second half. I don't think they I think they didn't convert one third down in the second half. They got that fourth down conversion. So I'm not sure what Michigan could rest on from last week that they can just carry forward to next week. Washington just have to manage the clock better. I think they're in a position to go. They were in a position a couple of times to go 20 points and got cute. Just don't get cute. Your quarterback was 18 for 21 at one point early in the the fourth quarter, and you did all, like I said, he did all the flea figure stuff. Don't get cute. Just keep it simple. Those quick routes to the wide receivers, you had two wide receivers, number one and number two. You want literally your one-two combo. Keep it simple with that. I think they beat Michigan. I'm going to say like, I don't know, like 34, 24, 34, 27. I like watching in this game. All right, now it's my favorite part of the week where Mr. Logical plays guess the spread and the over-under. I'm going to be wrong. That's so the beauty part. What I do you love think it. the spread is on this game? I think Michigan's favorite probably is three and a half. Okay, four and a half. Okay. What's the <laughs> over-under? Over-under over, Michigan three. You said Michigan four and a half. Over-under... 
57 and a half? 55 and a half. <laughs> All right. Yo, Vegas, call me. I'm available. Right. My number's been the same so, since 06. So I will have everyone know Michael Penix has played against Michigan before. And it was back when he was at Indiana. The year was 2020, where Indiana only lost one game that season to Ohio State. And there was the big controversy about Ohio State had only played six games. Should they be allowed to be in the playoff? That was the year they lost to Devontae Smith and that Alabama. Was COVID year. That was a mask year. year. Yes. Mask up. Uh, Michael Penix against Michigan that day went 30 of 50 for 342 with three touchdowns. And it was Indiana's first win over Michigan since 1987. Now, Blake Corum has played against Washington before. The year after that, Blake Corum ran for 177 and three touchdowns. Michigan beat Washington by three touchdowns at the big house. All right. That's just G Wiz got nothing to do with this game. <laughs> just, that's Maybe just, it does. That's, that's just some 2 5 ism right there. But anyway, Washington comes into this game on a 21 game winning streak. Their last loss was October 8th of last year in Tempe, Arizona. They went 10 and 2, or, you know, 12 and 2 last year. Of course, they lost the week prior to that against UCLA. This is where Washington has an advantage. They've won eight one-score games this season. And they've won their last 10 games by 10 or less. So they are not going to panic if they get into a close battle like the other night against Texas. They didn't panic against Texas. I think, you know, they get out of there easily if Dylan Johnson doesn't get hurt. Now, with that being said, he is going to play. But how effective is he going to be? You know, ankles, you just never know. Where Washington has a problem. Texas rushed the ball 28 times for 180, 6.4 yards per carry. Hello, Blake Corham and Donovan Evans. Donovan Edwards, go have you a game. Can you keep Washington off the field? Can you keep running the ball when you think your quarterback's better than Tom Brady, though? Hey. I'm not even going. I mean, they did it against Penn State when they ran it like all but three times in the second half or something crazy like that. I just don't think that they're going to be able to be able to do that when Washington is going to be able to throw the ball in them because it's not like you know what this game might look like. I don't know if you remember this or not. I can't even remember. USC Texas in 2006. I'm going going NFL. That'd be the greatest thing ever. No, I'm going NFL with this one. I want to say it was 2008 or nine. It was the playoffs. New England at Jacksonville. Jacksonville scored every time they had the ball. Maurice Jones drew and Fred Taylor just up the gut, up the gut, up the gut. But Tom Brady scored every time he got the ball on three or four different plays, you know, three or four play drives, you know. So they ended up winning 31 to 28 or something along those lines. Yo, it'd be dope if it was a lot like that Kansas City Rams game. Remember that one, the 51? No, that wouldn't be dope at all. That would would be dope. Now, this is my question because, you know, I like to do the psychological babble. So this is my question. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I told Mr. Logical, Buffalo got momentum. Mr. Logical said, take that momentum and put a sock in your mouth. And I told Mr. Logical, Buffalo beat Kansas City. 
and that's their springboard. This is the question. Now that Michigan has slain the mighty beast known as Alabama, are they smelling themselves? I do mean, think, possibly. Do they think they accomplished something? Do they think that they've already accomplished something? Possibly. But if there's anybody in the building with the the football acumen and the psychological acumen that I possess that's in that building, that's in the ear of any of these players, if they're telling them, like, yo, you know, if, if we get a bad snap on that fourth down, we're not here. Because we've been, we've been, we've had bad procedural plays all day. Muff punts, two of those. Uh, bad snap on the uh, extra point attempt. Uh, Intercepted where the defender stepped out of bounds first. Then you had the the flea flicker that flea was flicker with, that literally no, like McCarthy had to like jump up, catch it, and throw it. So it wasn't. Oh, when as Dallas Turner tried to end him, yeah. When he tried, yeah, when he tried to Jalen Dan, Jane Dan, you know, I get it. You know, there's a spot in Atlanta for anybody who can really brush the passer. By the way, second round, that'd be dope. Uh, so, so there, it wasn't as if they were like just flowing through the game, and you know, you had a hiccup. It's a difference when you are you scoring your first couple of drives, you have a punt. You know, you have a six and out or whatever you punt or whatever the case may be, and then you come back, get a field goal, and now, you, you know, you go into the half, 17-6. But you had some – like, it was some flow. It wasn't mistakes. Like, you got points off the flow, and then, you know, you got some field goals. Michigan was kind of, scr- like, swimming upstream because they were shooting themselves in the foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got to 27 points. Can't do that. But that 27, that 27 points wasn't – off of three consistent drives, mm-hmm. couple of punts, couple of field goals on some additional consistent drives. It was we're down 20 to 13 in the second half. We've been dominated this entire second half. And now we got to make these plays happen. And they made them happen. Because even on the fourth two conversion, the wide receiver that eventually ended up scoring a touchdown, he had an unnecessary block in the back which brought it back. So, you know, it, it wasn't very smooth. And I think it might be a blessing in disguise that it wasn't very smooth for them because mm-hmm. now they have to like really go to the drawing board because like, yo, we didn't dominate this game. These are the holes, but yeah. I just feel like Washington had their end of the game. Snafus with not managing the clock properly, the silly play calls, well, where I think Michigan will be okay as far as the psychological part is that now they're at the end of their journey, and now they can put the cherry on top of the big fuck you to the rest of the nation that, you know, they were cheaters and they were stealing signs. And all they now were. They cheated. Hey, they stole hey, the signs. They hey, J.J. McCarthy said, oh boy, J.J. McCarthy game. said they had to keep up. Yeah, he was at the game. He was at the game. J.J. McCarthy said he had to keep up with Ohio State. Literally, oh, yeah, your boy Connor Stallings, whatever his name was, him yeah, and Stallings, yeah. was at the game in the Rose Bowl behind the Michigan bench. So it's not as if it's like Watergate and everyone's trying to distance themselves from it. He was 27 feet from Michigan hey, players. All I'm saying at is, the Rose Bowl with a on face. Like this is I got moment. us here. This is Michigan's moment to have a deflate gate 
middle finger to Roger Goodell. That's what this is for Michigan. Now, I was trying to go back through their schedule because, you know, you got to look at the schedule. And I was trying to figure out if they, if either team had played a team that looks like their opponent. Now, Michigan played against Ohio State with the receivers, but they didn't have the quarterback. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. went five catches, 115 against Michigan. You know, when I looked at Washington's schedule, I landed on Oregon State. But it's hard to take anything away from that game because it was played during a rainstorm. So, you know, Washington got out of there 22 to 20. Oregon State got the ball back with seven minutes left and just proceeded to run out the clock and not get a, you know, they didn't get in field goal range. Yeah, nothing. So, so, you know, so it's hard to take that away. Now. I can see why he transferred. Now, Michigan, (laughs) Michigan and Washington, this is the ultimate game, right? Defense wins championships. Michigan's defensive line against Washington's offensive line, which won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. So the game will, ready, cliche, the game will be won in the trenches. You know, but the biggest advantages in the total game is Michael Penix over J.J. McCarthy and Washington's wide receivers over Michigan's. You know, so you got, you know, Adunze, McMillan, and Polk. And on Michigan's side, you got Roman Wilson. And there's a uh, Samaj Morgan who fumbled the first punt against Alabama. So Washington has that advantage. But I think Michigan will be able to get through the way that Texas was not. Now. I think Texas – I think Texas – Well, they got through, but Michael Pence was able there. to step up and make right. He, he, because he, he I think just because I, I remember watching a, I watch NFL. Well, I think Michigan will get home. It's just that sometimes like, I, I remember watching a replay. It was in slow motion. I believe it was a Chargers game, it was like Chargers, Broncos, or something like that. It wasn't like a prime. I mean, it was a prime time game because like Sunday football game or something like that. Right. But I remember watching. Justin Herbert, he threw whatever pass he threw. It wasn't it wasn't a crazy pass. It was like a regular wide receiver got to the spot. The ball was on him. He caught it. But I remember watching the replay. And Chris Collinsworth, I believe, was talking about how precise and how well-timed that throw was to, like, Keenan Allen on, like, a little dig route or curl route or something like that. And in the replay, the defender's hand was here. And the ball was like, it was like this. It was like perfect timing. But in that conversation, it was like, oh, just a well-timed throw. And it just seemed like the margin for error for quarterback is so narrow. And the timing is like, Penix just knows if I sit in this pocket, for another half a second, this guard is going to be able to block this guy. And I'm going to be able to make this throw in the cover two. And I saw that a couple of times in the, the Washington, Texas game. The touchdown he threw, I don't, I don't know, like I always forget the names, but the touchdown he threw to number 11 on a post route in between the both safeties. They were talking about it as if when he caught the ball in the end zone, 
there was no defensive player around. It was like a bad coverage by Texas. Yeah, the, the safeties dropped and they did this. And then when he threw the ball, they converged. It's just the ball got in this area here because he stepped up in the pocket and let it go. I don't think Jalen Milrow ever tested the Michigan defense that way. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if McCord did either. You know, I'm not sure if the last three or four games that Michigan's played, they've played a NFL prototype, NFL-ready quarterback. Because if you think about – if you drop C.J. Beathard into a college offense right now, he would probably dice up a college defense because I've seen two or three more, four years, more film plays than these defenders. So I know – when you turn your hips this way, I can get you on the shoulder. Like you're not gonna be able to turn back around before I get this ball through. I think Penix plays that way. I'm not sure if McCarthy does. I think McCarthy's kind of grown. Like I think his 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 college football knowledge is right where it needs to be for how many games he's played. Whereas I think Penix might be like, I'm a man amongst boys, and I have been all year long. That's why they won those close games. That's why he didn't make the mistakes late. That's why he didn't cost them games. Whereas a guy like Caleb Williams cost his team. Sometimes like the USC defense wasn't great, but I don't think he has like a year or year two in knowledge on the defenders that he's playing against, whereas Penix does. And I don't think well, I also I also wonder what the timing means. So, you know, going into the Texas game, Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb had a month just about to game plan for Texas. You know, so being back on a regular schedule now, I also think that when I look back at Washington's season, when they played against Arizona State, for example, that was a physical defense that held Washington to 15 points. Penix didn't even throw a touchdown in that game. Now, I'm not saying Michigan's going to do all that. I'm just saying that I've seen more of Penix being held in check than I've seen teams just score on Michigan. So, yeah, but did he panic? Did he throw the bad pick six? Did he? Yes, he did, actually. The bad, like the, the game losing well, obviously they didn't lose a game, everybody, but everyone, everyone they were also favored by three touchdowns in that game. Yeah, but who was uh, TCU was favored by some touchdowns? The Colorado beat them. It happens, but when it no, comes no, down that's to, not the same. When thing. it comes down that's to the first like, game of the thing about nobody me, saw anybody when they picked when me, they put the spread out for that about, game. Like, uh, let me think about like someone. I because we had this com- we had this conversation recently, like even Quinn Ewers. When you see him play for Texas, Texas, you never think he's going to be overwhelmed. We thought Jalen Milrose, sometimes he was overwhelmed. You think about it with, like, sometimes you're surprised <coughs> with rookie NFL rookie quarterbacks because they aren't overwhelmed versus guys like, remember Peterman? Like, he just kept throwing. Peterman! Matt Schaub just kept throwing. Like, why do you keep doing this? Like, no one else is doing it. <laughs> Purdy, Purdy had a couple of bad games, obviously, but you don't look at him like, yo, I think the moment's too big for him. I think people felt the same way about Lamar because they didn't like the way he threw the ball. But if you really break down, like, 
how he feels in the pocket. Like he, he just bounces more. He just moves more in the pocket than Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes probably moves more than Tom. Lamar probably moves more in the pocket than Patrick because he can jump back five yards and kind of gather himself. Hence why they cost him the safety against San Francisco because he's like, you know what? I can drop back and still have my eyes downfield. Tom Brady's never going to drop back to try to avoid the rush in the end zone. I think Penix is one of those guys who's like, yeah, you can have a bad game. <coughs> Excuse me. But when it comes down to it, it's like, I know I can get my team to the promised land. McCarthy is 20. At this point, I think I believe his record is like 27 and one. I'm not sure how many tough games he's been in to where other than that last, those that last drive, because the, 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 the drive that started at 25 yard line is basically you start in the red zone. So you can run the ball four or five times and score a touchdown. So I don't really call that, but that last drive, that's probably like the first drive he's been in like that with that magnitude with that on the line. And I'm not sure if that can be replicated week after week after week, whereas Penix has been playing these close games. Every well, I just think that – I just think that – He had a great game. I think that Michigan's offensive line is going to push Washington around. I think Michigan's going to do a whole lot of Marshawn run through a motherfucker face. <laughs> if I they got do Michigan, that, then I think they're good to go. I, mean, I, got, if, I got Michigan. If you're dominating the line of scrimmage, then – and and you ride that out. I just don't feel. I don't feel like a nationally televised game with Michigan, Harbaugh, all Michigan versus everybody. That they're just gonna line up and run the ball forty times. I just don't, I I just mean, don't see it. I if see it works, it, it, if it works, it works. Remember, they beat Penn State and only threw the ball eight times. But think about it. Think about like if they like look at their like I said their inefficiency on third down in the second half against Alabama. But that's against Alabama, the reason, too. The reason – the reason, but that's the same Alabama that they just ran down the field in the last two drives. It wasn't like Alabama was, like, super defiant. But if you aren't converting – Well, you you just said yourself Michigan to, wasn't converting third downs. Alabama had something to do with that. Because they were third and ten. Because they were going yeah, – Because of Alabama. <laughs> because they were passing on first down. Because if you, if you think about it, if you pass on first down, and you're normally a running team, you're normally – you're a standard Iowa. I was a running team. They pass on first down as incomplete. Now you're in second and ten. What's the likelihood of an Alabama, a Iowa offensive coordinator calling a pass play on second down? So well, I, I don't like, know, right? but I saw Michigan shut out Iowa, so I don't like this comparison. Like, like no, Alabama just, is a top no, just, fifteen just, defense in the country. No, just a playing style, playing style, offensive playing style. So if you if you're a running team and you call, and every few drives you call first play. You know, passes on first down, and you don't can you don't get them. The likelihood of you calling another pass on second down is probably diminished. It's probably like I also, I probably also 65, don't know, 35 run pass. I also don't if know the likelihood. The rudimentary that, mass. I also don't. I also don't know the likelihood that Michigan's gonna look like that again. You know, from the standpoint of I don't think the mistakes Alabama. are gonna happen. I'm just talking about like just a simple. Well, no, I'm just talking about Washington's defense not being as good as Alabama's. So therefore, the results should be a little different. I'm just talking about the 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 the, the play calling, 
the reason that they were, I think they were in this situation that we're in the second, the second half is the first downs being incomplete. And now you got to run on second and 10 and you get it. Now you're, you get the run on second and 10 Alabama knows you're going to run it. Now it's second and eight, third and eight, third and seven. And now you got to throw it on third down. I think if, if you put yourself in those positions, but if they consistently stick to the run and they get second and four, but I think I think that they had to do that against Alabama because of how good they were only down four. But no, I know, but four. I know, but what I'm saying is is that against Washington, they know or they should feel that they can line up, shove it down their throat. They didn't okay. know that against Alabama, you so you Texas, had to keep Alabama off balance. It just didn't. You think Texas skill players are pretty much on par with Michigan skill players and that like they're the the force they present offensively and offensive line and a running back. I think they're probably wired the same way. Is just that not the running backs, no. Because Texas the starter is out. Well I'm just saying their starter is out. So like these guys yeah. aren't as good as that guy, obviously. Yeah, and you I, know, but, but but as far but, as like but they, the, they also ran six point four yards of carry against Washington. So if I'm Michigan, why can't I replicate that? I you get it, I mean? but if you get a field goal and Michael Penix comes down and he ding, 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 ding with his wide receivers, now you're down 7-3. And, and I also think are you, that – Are you apt – you down 7-3. Now you're down 10-3. And, yes, you're going to be able to run the ball. You go down 13-3, you run the ball still? Yes. You keep, Penix, I think – Penix calm, his calm and his demeanor – in the fracas and the chaos that was happening around his feet, it was different. It's different than how it looked for all the other three quarterbacks in the playoffs. But I, but I also think that Michigan passed the test because this Alabama game was the first time that they even trailed in the second half and had to play that way. So, but if you looked you know, at the first half of the like the first half team, the, the team they played in the first half against in Alabama, you should have been down in the second half. When you went to halftime, you should have thought, like, there's no way this team could beat us. And that same team came out and dominated. Because I watched the first half, because and I was like – Defense. I was – no, I'm talking about Alabama's defense isn't great. They're top 15? I mean, they're always top 15. They got – the top 15 schools have okay. all – Okay, there's, there's 133 schools. A top 15 defense to me is great. How like how great did they look in all these drives when Texas was throwing the ball up and down the field on and, and Michigan was throwing the ball up and down? All right, now let's do some math. How long ago was that game? I don't think anybody was how, doing. I don't think I don't that think Michigan offense was doing anything outstanding against the Alabama defense. How long ago was that Texas game? I was man. That was around your birthday. I was forty-one. I was forty-one. Exactly. I was young back then. I didn't have all these gray hairs down here. Exactly, but we saw what I later can, in the I season can, we can. saw what they did to Ole Miss. Georgia wasn't moving the ball up and down the field on Alabama like that. You know what I mean? I like, it. and I and I get it. I just I think that I think the the point I, I'm trying to convey, and I, I think I might not have like the numbers to really support it, but just the eye test. It it never looked as if. Any part of what Alabama was doing in the entire game should have had them in a position of where they were even in the lead in the fourth. 
So to me, if I'm watching Alabama and I'm watching this Michigan team, I'm like, Alabama isn't doing anything to where Michigan shouldn't be dominating this game. Mm -hmm. But yet they still needed the drive at the end of the fourth to include a fourth down. And this overtime, and I get Michigan that also that it's just but you like, just said it, but you just said it. Like Michigan has that Iowa style of offense or whatever, so they're I, not gonna they're not we, gonna score thirty straight points. It's not it's not even that. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll talk about this because when I was driving, I you know I picked my daughter up a couple weeks ago. You were giving me the play by play on the Wilder fight. He was fighting some guy. I forgot his name. What was the guy's name? Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker. So now, as you're watching. This dude, Parker, because I called you was around the six rounds. So you watched the last six rounds. So as you're telling me what's going on with this fight, this guy, Parker, is dominating Wilder for every round from seven, eight, nine, ten. So now if Wilder happened to get his feet together in the 11th round and land a couple of shots and then get the knockout blow in the 12th round. Yes, he won the fight. He got the knockout blow. But the other team was dominating for a large portion of that fight. You were able to land. You were able to throw the body blows, and that was the drive at the end of the fourth, and then a knockout punch in overtime. But prior to that, nothing about that game said to me, this Michigan team looks like they are dominating the team. And I felt like Alabama played inferior football because Alabama didn't look Which great. goes back to my original It's point. like they were only throwing jabs. Like, yo, this team's only throwing jabs, and they're dominating you, only throwing jabs. It took you this long to figure out that I can hit them with the haymaker, whereas I think Washington is going to hit you with the jabs. They're going to hit you with the body blows, and they're very confident in their left hook being the left-handed quarterback. That's a difference. I think Washington is going to go up in this game 14-3, 17-3. I think, I think it's going to be an early jump out for Washington, and then Michigan's going to try to have to claw back. And we, but, but we but going back to but going back to your boxing point, we also know that styles make fights. And the thing that I maintained the whole week that we were talking about the Alabama Michigan game was that they were even teams. They were as even as you can be. But we you felt the same way about Texas and Washington, and both of them. No, we did not. Way. No, we did not we feel that way. We, we called it a coin toss. We called. It I didn't call it a coin toss. I called it a coin flip. I was divine on Michigan. I was coin flipping on Washington, Texas. No, I I had no blink about it. I picked Washington and I didn't even blink. Oh, my bad. I guess I was the only one. Well, also, but I mean, but also, but also, they had played last year as well. So you know what I mean, like so. I was on point flip with Washington, Texas. I was more. I thought Alabama would be more. I thought that the way I thought the way that Alabama looked dominant in the third quarter, early fourth. Like, I don't think they were really dominating. Right, right. Milrose fumble really gave life to Michigan. He holds on to that ball because I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be an RPL inside. He runs to the left, and he option pitches it to the wide receiver. 
everything looked like that was the play. And he couldn't get the ball from his right arm to his because he, he did it with his shoulder. Like if you look at the replay, and the wide receiver was waiting behind the line of scrimmage for the ball. Like he like the, the motion action. So when he fumbled, I think it was supposed to be an RPO option left. And he just because he wasn't, I don't like I said, he wasn't in tune with the moment. I know I'm beating this to death. You can take your shots. <laughs> I don't think he was in tune with the fact that it's like, dog, you're doing this. I don't know if anyone was telling him on the sideline, just keep doing what you're doing, and we're going to the national championship game. See, it just see, felt like he was playing like, I can't make a mistake. I can't. Because it was there. The pitch was there. When he came off the RPO and he rolled to his left, the pitch was – everyone was focused on him. If you look at the replay, if you want to pull up on your phone at some time while we're talking or even afterwards and text me, the pitch was there. And he did a shuffle like he was going to move it from his right arm to his left arm to do the pitch. And then mid, like, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to tuck it and go. And that's when he went, like – parallel to the line of scrimmage and the ball got knocked out well see see my thought my thoughts was uh, of these games was washington is the better team michigan was the better team but my thought was like i said the mental stuff because michigan got over the ohio state hump obviously they've won the last three matchups but they got smashed when they saw georgia you know what i mean and then when they played TCU last year, it just all fell apart. So my thought of it was Michigan was the better team. They just don't necessarily excel in the big games. So that's why I picked Alabama. But I always thought Michigan was the better team. You know, it just, it just, you know, they just, I just felt that they weren't ready for the moment again, you know. And, uh, take a shot. You know, so, so, so there you go. But, uh, but Joe. You know, it's clinching time in the NFL. We have 11 out of 16 playoff teams in 14. five spots left. 14. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Sorry. 11 out of 14. Because the NBA is 16 and it feels like it's way too yeah. much. Yeah, I agree. So, it should be 12. It should be 12 yeah. in the NFL. So, 12. you know what I'm saying? We got the 49ers and the Ravens both secured with the one seed. You know, so both have home field throughout the playoffs. Now, Brock Purdy MVP. I'm kidding. <laughs> calm down. Calm down. I'm kidding. So, Buffalo, they could be, along with Tampa Bay, the biggest losers of the weekend. Because if Buffalo wins, they're the AFC East champions, and they're in. What's the if parlay they, bet on that? If I they lose, out. if they lose, they have to hope that Pittsburgh and Jacksonville lose. So they can still get in. Pittsburgh plays on Saturday. Shout out to Nick Wright. Uh, first things first. One of my favorite shows I like to watch. His argument for and against Buffalo because he's not he's not a big Buffalo guy. He does a yeah, lot. Yeah, he's of a games. Kansas City homer. He uses a lot of facts to support his conjecture. Like it's it's a weird it's a weird Skip Bayless kind of conundrum that he he kind of revels in. Um, hoping he hears that. So I can, I'm tagging him in it. But his argument is that if Pittsburgh wins Saturday, then the pressure will be too great for Buffalo on Sunday. 
But if they if <laughs> but if Pittsburgh loses and then Buffalo's in no matter what, they'll play freer, so forth and so on. Because I guess Pittsburgh wins that again, they'll be 10 and 7. You know, uh, out. Then Buffalo has to win to be in. You know, one of my favorite card games? Texas Hold'em. Bullshit. Oh, I got that downstairs. <laughs> Bullshit. Like, look, look, Buffalo is going into a game. If, if anything, I'm afraid that Buffalo might be overconfident from the standpoint of Bradley Chubb's out. Xavier Howard got carted off. You know, Mostert and Waddle are dealing with ankles. You know, we'll see if they play. Tua banged up his shoulder. So if anything, I would be afraid that Buffalo is looking at this like everything's falling into our lap. It's right here for us to take it. That's what I would be afraid of if I was looking at And this is something else that uh, I got from that show, and I've been thinking about it for weeks. I've been thinking about it since the end of last season. Stephon Diggs. I think their last, the stat they said last seven games is averaging like 40 yards a game. Like since they started winning, I think three, like three or four wins. He's getting like 39.6 yards a game, less targets. He was the most no targeted. Howard, that shouldn't be a problem. But that's the thing. No matter who's guarding, but also Devontae but, Adams is not getting 40 yards a game for five games in a row. No matter who I can be quarterback and I'm getting the ball to him to get him more 40 yards. It'll be slow. It might be a knuckler. It won't be solid. It will be a lot of touch pass. But also high right now at 42 playing quarterback. I'm throwing a ball to Devontae Adams. There's something, but there's something Devontae missing out of that. The ball. There's something, but there's something also missing out of that as well. Buffalo also has the third leading rusher in the NFL. I don't and, care who you have. You know, your best wide receiver has to get more than 40 yards. He has to get eat. Your best wide receiver can't look, go from the same guy. The name of the game is to win the game. How many how many shows did we do last year? You and I. But we probably about a hundred, at least a hundred, because we worked something like that. About a hundred. Imagine. This year, you and I only do 65 shows, but I still do 100 with another person. You missed out on 35 shows. We did 100 last year, and next year is me and Black Adam up here for 35 shows without you. You would feel some type of weight coming in and you're like, yo, dog, hold on. We did 100 shows in 2023. Now 2024, we only did 65 together. And now you looking like the MVP, Pro Bowl snub. Like, it's looking like you don't need me. And then Lindsey get on around June, talk about, oh, I guess Sports Reports' order only needs one only needs one veteran, like his brother <laughs> did four months ago. So you, we got to be key to these things. These conversations occur because it's not that conversation. If she said, well, that, I don't, I don't think I, that that came from you. It didn't come from I, me. It didn't come I from how you felt about me. It would come from how you and her conversed. I don't think that this is anything new, though. We came into the season thinking that Stefan Diggs' days in Buffalo were numbered. So, I mean, I don't think that I would have ended. And right, January. you know what I mean. But you know, I guess for me, I just have that old school thought of get the W any means necessary, whatever the case may be. It's 14 you, available in Arrowhead. Is it? 
who's wearing 14 right now in Kansas City? <laughs> you know, but uh, I just think that if, like I said, if anything, if I'm Buffalo, I'm worried about overconfidence because you know, ever since the 9/11 thing, they've been just on a whole mission. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know. It's you know, been it's it's like a Michigan versus everybody kind of thing. <laughs> I want to I don't want to bet against it again. Um, you know, but 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 like I think that you know we we've also gotten used to this with Miami where they start seasons off like you know they they come out the gate like they're killing everybody and yeah and then near the end of the season the injuries mount up this tends to happen you know what i mean uh so with that being said i'm picking buffalo to win but i just think that i don't think it's because miami is bad or miami's falling off i don't think it's anything like that i just think that we looked at the schedule and we were like, yo, okay, Dallas, Baltimore, Buffalo. So, like, I mean. You can't win all three. You can't win all three, and it's we not had, like you'll win two. We're, talking about, we're, saying that, we're saying that they had to go two and one, but it was very likely if they went one and two, and even more reasonable, more likely if they went 0 and three. I like Buffalo in this because I think. They got more better. They got they have momentum. I know I hate that. I hate I hate momentum, but I also want to add in, I want to sprinkle in a little bit of uh they've been getting out of love from the media. I think that Josh Allen getting snubbed. It maybe maybe it's a rallying cry for the guys playing against him. a dude that got in. But but Tua deserved to get in. Oh, yeah, Tua definitely deserved it. The person who did not deserve to get in, shout out to Patrick Mahomes. Like, he could be mad at me if we had to, if I tagged him. He would think the same thing because if the shoe was on the other foot, he would feel the same way. He would feel the same way. It's like it wasn't as if Josh Allen didn't put up. If he put up four rushing touchdowns from the one and he had 30 total touchdowns and, and Mahomes at 27, it's very similar. He put up 42 total touchdowns. Four years in a row, no one's done that except for him. Oh, and and by the way, by the way, uh, Josh Allen is also nine and two against Miami all time. So Tua two was going to get in because two was like basically number one, two or three in every major quarterback category. It's in Miami. And people like to say it's an advantage to Miami to play down in Miami, but I'm like, I don't think it is. Well, it's usually because... that's in like September or so when even the if, humidity. You know, even if it's even if it's now, like I think when it's I think first of all, I love Utah, I love Colorado, I love Korea, Germany, all those cold places I've been stationed. When it's cold as shit, it hurts for everybody. Like <laughs> it sucks. It's when it's cold, like you have you ever like, I remember shoveling my house one time. We have solar panels on the housing here. I remember I shoveled my driveway. I'm out there listening. I had the headphones on. I was trying to study to make master. And it was like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. Get the whole driveway clear. My toes are frozen. I'm wearing Air Force issue cold weather gear. And the sun had warmed up the snow on the solar panels enough to where it all fell off the roof. Now my driveway is covered again in snow. It is frustrating. Or I was shoveling one time and the plow came and he pushed snow 
back into the driveway to the shovel. I flagged him down and told him, listen, man, bring the thing over here. And I had him do my driveway. It's frustrating in the cold. But if they go down to Miami and it's 70 degrees or 65 degrees on Sunday, like I don't know what the temperature is going to be. I don't think that adversely affects anyone. Yeah, it's comfortable for Miami and they can be able to run. But I don't think it's going to stop Buffalo from being able to execute their game plan. Whereas if it was like windy as hell when that game with Mac Jones through three passes mm-hmm. up in, you know, upstate New York, that's different. That really changes the game, the, the, the elements of the game because of the elements of the weather. But if you go down there and it's Miami and it's 60 degrees and it's maybe a little drizzle, then it's going to be is is essentially like playing in a dome for both teams. It's like the, the weather would not be an impact. And I think Buffalo's ability to just be physical versus Miami to coin a Chris Bizarre break dancers. If you double Tyreek and you crash the line of scrimmage and you make Tua go to his third read, He'll go 17 for 31. Well, especially if Waddle isn't there. You if know, Waddle's so. like, if he has to go to his third read, even if even if Waddle's there, if he has to go to Chase Claypool on second Cedric and ten, Wilson, yeah. Cedric Wilson was, you know, second and nine. And that was 39. Is like, we know who you're looking for. You're not gonna go back to the guy you just couldn't complete the pass to. Because Claypool had a ball in his hand last week against Buffalo. They ripped it out while he was laying on the ground. And then uh, also, you know, Tampa Bay could be a big loser because, you know, they win and they're Very. your NFC South champions. You know, if they lose, then it's all up for grabs and it comes down to the House of Horrors, Atlanta, New Orleans. You know, the winner of that game could be your NFC South champion, but New Orleans is the only team that has a path you know, if they don't win the division out of those three. Yeah, it's a weird situation. Yeah, so Tampa should be fine playing against Carolina. You would think they should be fine. Trying to you, pull know, up you know, with uh, Pro Bowl snub, Derek Brown. Oh, we ain't get there yet, my bad. I jumped on that one early. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he didn't make the Pro Bowl because he played for Carolina, but, you know, you know, a whole other thing, you know, but – um, Carolina can put up a fight. They have put up a fight at times during this year. But I just think Mike Evans gets loose behind the defense one too many times. And, and Baker's going to throw it. Yeah, and Baker's going to let it go. This ain't Desmond Ritter. Yeah, you know, it's not Ritter trying to check it down to no one and get attention to yeah. ground calls. Whereas when I look at the House of Horrors, I can see Atlanta winning this game. I can't. I'm just not gonna pick it. I'm just not gonna pick it, but I could see it. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, like Atlanta. I got the towels, I got the jerseys. Atlanta could control the clock, you know. Uh, obviously, whoever wins this game is gonna be the team that runs the ball better. You know, Atlanta has three options to try to get that done. So they why, can why you out here talking like a competent football person? Do you know who's <laughs> coaching that team? Do you, have you not heard me talk? Since August, yeah, it's the same dude I, that's going to be coaching them next year. Yeah, that's true. And I'm <laughs> had this thing. I'm had this like. Listen, I've sent messages to them to, for them to fire Mike Smith, for them to fire Dan Quinn, and I'm telling the same thing about firing Arthur Smith. I'm not trying to advocate for a grown man lose his job and have to displace his family, but <laughs> you're not doing the job you need. And there's, I'm upset for the fan base, right? Because. 
I was on Facebook and I rarely chime into these groups, but the only one I comment on is the face is the Atlanta Facebook one because I don't know if every team's fans like this. Atlanta seems to have a lot of rational fans. And uh I'm, I'm gonna pull it up now so I'll make sure I get it locked in what what I said to this guy or what he what he said to me that made me sit back and think you had to oh, say bro. something, huh? I was like, no, like it was like a good thing. I was like, yo, how did how did I not even think of this? So I got a guy, this guy named Mike. I don't want to say his last name because I was, I didn't get his permission. This guy Mike, I was talking to on Facebook. And the post is from the Falcons. It's like, hey, unfinished business. That was like the post. And he was like, he's like, the division should have been wrapped up week for us weeks ago. Losses to teams like the Commanders, Titans, Cardinals, Bears, and Panthers just show who we really are and don't deserve to win this thing. Please get a real head coach and quarterback this offseason. Stop making us suffer through another same shit every season. I read that and I was like, the Commanders, Titans, Cardinals, Bears, Panthers, essentially Bears and Panthers, those are five of your teams picking in the top 10. Atlanta has nine losses. So over half the losses that they have are to teams that are picking in the top 10. Carolina isn't picking because they lost it to the Bears. But the Bears are picking 10 right now, and they're getting one because of Carolina, so it still counts as teams picking in the top 10. So you have nine losses to five teams that are picking their their replacement players in the top 10 of the draft ahead of Atlanta. Chicago's at 10, but from 8 to 1, four of the teams you lost are picking in that 1 to 8 range. You don't deserve for Carolina to bail you out. Even as a fan, I'm like, you don't deserve it. You should have beaten Washington because the week before, Chicago was throwing the ball on first down in the first quarter on this secondary that you have been telling people was awful. I didn't first secondary in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize they were that bad until I watched the game against Chicago. And, and oh, and by the way, was, here comes like, C.D. Well, Lamb like- and here comes C.D. Lamb and Brandon Cooks. By the way. Yo, did you know, did you realize, I just realized today when I was looking up some stuff, I didn't realize C.D. Lamb, I mean, granted. He's leading in receiving yards? Well, no, no, he's still second, but he's only 56. Last I saw, he was 56 yards behind him. Oh, I thought he was like six yards ahead of Tyreek when I saw it. Keep going. I think when I I saw it, he was 56 yards behind Tyreek, but but with 10 more catches. But uh, anyway. You know, so yeah. Also on Saturday, we got a win in N. Houston versus Indianapolis. And if Jacksonville loses on Sunday, the winner of this game also wins the AFC South. Oh, yeah. Okay. So CD has 10 more catches. And I think 56 um, less yards. Something like that. Uh, two less touchdowns. Yeah. But and I just didn't realize that. I just didn't realize. I just didn't realize somebody was that close to Tyreek at the time when, you know, but obviously he missed the game and has been slowed down, you know, with the ankle. But, uh, but yeah, so Houston and Indianapolis live from Lucas Oil on Saturday night. The winner, like I said, in the playoffs can win the South if Jacksonville loses on Sunday. 
So what say you, Mr. Logical? I don't know, but real quick, Puka Nakua has 1,400 yards. Yeah, Puka Nakua is four catches and 29 yards away from breaking the uh, rookie records in both of those categories, which I was going to get to when we got to that game. Sorry. Uh, DJ, <laughs> DJ Moore has 1,300 yards as well. Uh, sorry. I, I was just looking at the numbers. Okay. Uh, can you repeat the question again, sir? Sorry. Yeah, Houston or, Houston or Indianapolis? Uh, I was born in Texas. My dad's an Indy fan. I'm going Indy. I think they believe in Gardner Minshew. I think they just they just one of those scrappy teams. It's I don't I don't think I don't think as an NFL executive you will look at their team and say I would take this unit from their team and put them on my team. But that Captain Planet kind of approach that they have that they just kind of just put it all together. With the Gardner Minshew, like you got sometimes you really got to shout out the 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 confidence to play backup quarterback in the NFL. Swagger. Sometimes you're not play, you're not playing quarterback. Sometimes you are literally playing. He's got the swagger of an old spice commercial. Jacoby Reset had it. Chase Daniel had it. Uh, Glennon with the neck. Oh, Minshew. <laughs> uh, the uh, big dick Nick pause. Oh, uh, okay. Had it, you know. Okay. He like some of these guys just really have this ability. Tyler Heineke has it a little bit, or Taylor Heineke has it a little bit, but he just ends up on teams to where the starting quarterback is kind of terrible, and he potentially could be starting versus like if Taylor Heineke was on a team like Minnesota. No, no. I'm talking about like a team where like you have a bona fide starter who's going to miss one or two games for his shoulder. Give him his 65 passes over two games, he'll do great. And Atlanta is like you might be better than a starter, but because you're a your designated as a backup and your contract is written as a backup, we're going to keep you as a backup kind of position. Uh, so. Yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 his piece. So like, the backup quarterback Gardner Minshew, he's in that same boat. It's just that the starter got injured. He should be a starter. He's a French starter. I'm not saying he's like 33, 33, 33 in the league. But if you don't have a starter, but you have him. I think you're good. I think you can settle down for a year and would do what Indy did. And they, they're potentially going to ride into the playoffs. I like what Houston's doing. I like she's a Stroud. I just think that Gardner's kind of just been through it. A couple of teams kind of getting passed over. I think his personality, I think he's kind of locked into like, I mean, listen, man, it's just another day. He might not be quite Jokic with it, but it's like, oh, I'm so sick of being a star at the sport that I play in America. I just want to leave. I don't think he's that far. But I think he likes. I think he likes the positions that he's in, I, and I believe that he thinks he can compete for the starting so, position. But he performs it like that. So on top of getting a playoff spot slash potential division title, does the winner of this game win Coach of the Year? Uh, I mean, like, listen, people like to they like to go worst to like the first to worst Coach of the Year automatic like that pipeline. Mm-hmm. I like Dan Campbell. I like Dan Campbell in Detroit. 
I think the fact that he's gotten other people outside of Detroit sports media, you and I in conversation, other sports pundits we've talked to, talking about the Lions as a viable, you know, NFL playoff can you know candidate. I mm-hmm. think that should get some consideration. Uh, like I said, yeah, of course it's easy to go with the rookie coaches to say, oh, he's coach of the year, but it's like, did you just catch lightning in the bottle though? Mm-hmm. I actually like struggle. I mean, I wasn't going to pick either one of them, but you know, I was actually thinking McVay, but uh, but it's still the same that, kind of story I too. You know, that, I was thinking that early when I was loading my dishwasher. I was just like, just thinking, I was thinking about stuff to talk about tonight, and I was like. Why is McVay? Because we were at the conversation about Stafford in the MVP conversation. We probably had like three in it. I don't know if it was on the show or in the pregame meeting. You like a Stafford get consideration? I'm like, I don't think so because we have other numbers for Stafford. Right, right, right. We have his big numbers. See, and, that, and, that, and that was which was my problem. Potential accolade, like, oh, this dude is potentially going to the Hall of Fame. He can't kind of he can't stumble his way into his MVP. Because the MVP was wide open three, four weeks Maybe, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, November, November, no, December 1st, it was wide open. Whatever, I don't know what day of the week that was as far as games, but that date on the calendar, seven different people could have put $100 on seven different guys mm-hmm. and had a viable, like, debate on why their $100 was going to turn into whatever the payout was. Right. Uh, Sean McVay's done a good job, but he's already been to the Super Bowl, so it's kind of hard to be to have a sub or just above par season. Well, considering everything that they lost and that you know they are relying on a rookie wide receiver, you know, I think and and not a rookie running back, but I think he's in his second or third year. Uh, Kyron Williams, who I believe you know he he's right there in the top of the rushing but the yards. The fact that he is already done he's already been successful i know but that shouldn't even LA. be a thing that shouldn't even be a thing no you know? i agree but, with you but like yeah. it, but that's the voters like they like what's young and hot they like britney spears they like christina Aguilera. no one likes celine dion back in 99 when she was singing her ass off each night hey, hey that titanic song to this day you know saying near far wherever you are, I'm t- are. But anyway Absolutely. but <laughs> i'm going with the colts as well um I was tempted to pick the Texans, but then I thought about that four-two-five, you know, and I thought about Jonathan Taylor averaging 124.6 yards against the Texans in his career. And when I looked at it, games at uh, home, indoors. The games at home, it's indoors. I feel the same way about Gardner Minshew. Like a lot of the things that you said, I agree with that. So I'm going with the Colts as well, even though I would like to see the Texans win. I think Gardner um, Minshew can. He can control the game and go 17 for 28 for 220 yards. You know, the, the just, only problem with Gardner Minshew. Third and seven, th- I think he'll scramble for eight yards. The only problem with Gardner Minshew, though, is that he throws some up there. You know, so oh, he yeah. throws I mean, some up he's, there. He's the country gunslinger with the jean you know. shorts. <laughs> but, but Joe, but, uh, you know, on top of that, since we're talking about the Texans and the Colts, I might as well go ahead and say that I'm picking Tennessee over Jacksonville. I'm going to pick Jacksonville just because Tennessee beat Atlanta. No. Uh, <laughs> I know 
Mike Rainbow tried to give like this real just win one for the Gipper kind of speech as a, a Dan Campbell esque kind of oh, we can't get in, they can't get in. <laughs> but that's I I I don't know and I, I'm and I wish NFL coaches were able to either either they were more honest or like more a little bit honest, even players. Because they give such generic BS answers until they get on the podcast five years after they've been out of the league and they're like, oh man, we were done. We were done with that year. You got 53 dudes in that roster that are gonna go into the game on Saturday or Sunday with multiple teams. They either have no shot at making the playoffs or no interest in playing into the playoffs. Like, for instance, the Falcons players. They're like, listen, man, I'm done with this season. I'm done with this coach. I'm ready to just go ahead and take my 824 grand I made this year, or my 1.8, or my 7.4. Or whatever it whatever you have left over after all the taxes are paid. And I'm done with this year. And then you got this coach up there that was yelling at you in fucking September about not running hard in a sprint. And now they want you to go out there and you're fucking four and four and twelve, five and eleven. So I'm like, yo, man, we could go out here and stop these little teams getting the playoffs. I don't care if they go to the playoffs. It has to be a large conglomerate of players. They're like, listen, I'm going to go out there and play hard so I don't get hurt. Because if you play soft, you'll get hurt. If you're passive, you'll get hurt. I'll go out there and play as hard as hell. I'll make every tackle I can make. But I don't give a damn if we win this game or not. No matter how much this coach, who probably is going to get fired, if you think about teams like potentially Tennessee, Carolina's guy probably won't get rehired. The rant, the Raiders coach probably won't get rehired. Washington's coach is probably gone. Oh yeah, Warren's coach is probably gone. The Chargers coach won't get rehired. Uh, who else is out here gonna get fired? Uh, Chicago's coach might not get rehired. Yeah, it's like, I, it sounds like from what I was reading the other day. New England's coach might not get hired. So you got like one, two, three, four. You got about eight coaches out here that won't be back. Oh, yeah. You know, eight, eight or nine coaches that won't be back next year out here trying to give me a speech about let's play hard so this other team doesn't make a playoff. Well, I learned as a, these dudes get $35,000 a check for playoff games. They don't get their regular contract check. I learned, they I get, learned like, as they a, get a flat fan. rate check from the, in the NFL PA. So it was like, I don't want to go to the playoffs and play for another week and deal with this bullshit for $35,000. I, I learned as a sports fan, respect the streak and some things you just can't explain. Like I cannot sit up here and tell you why is it? That Indianapolis has not won in Jacksonville since 2014. I can't I'm gonna grab tell you that. Right back. I'm gonna grab a water. I can't tell you why Indianapolis hasn't won in Jacksonville since 2014. I can't tell you why Jacksonville has lost 10 out of their last 12 at Tennessee. Why they're 10 and 18 all time at Tennessee. You know, I can't explain that to you, but I respect the streak. You know, uh, we're going to see if Will Levis is going to play this weekend. You know, uh, probably going to be Tannehill. 
Uh, Trevor Lawrence is back at practice, lightly throwing as of today. Yesterday he didn't throw. Today he threw a little bit. But the last time I saw Trevor Lawrence, and by the way, he's got a bum shoulder, but the last time I saw him, he was getting his shit pushed in in Cleveland, and then he went down to Tampa and got beat up as well. So I have no reason to believe that even if Trevor Lawrence plays, that he is anything near the Trevor Lawrence that the media wants you to think that he is. You know, so I'm going with Tennessee, and that's just the way it is. All right, so then back to the NFC again. You know, winning in Lambeau Field, the Green Bay Packers bringing in their rival, the Chicago Bears. This could be the game of the week. Justin Fields has been coming on as of late, you know, even with the legs. Jordan Love has been on a tear for the last month and a half or so that nobody else is talking about because the beginning of the season started so badly. But the Bears come into this game winning five of seven. Matt LaFleur has never lost to the Bears. Nine and no. Chicago hasn't won at Lambeau Field since 2015. You know, you know, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. You know, Chicago is averaging 145.3 rushing yards per game. Green Bay has given up 155 yards in four games this year. Needless to say, they've lost all four. You know, uh, the Bears have nothing to lose. They got the number one pick right now, or they're going to have the number one pick just because of Carolina's ineptitude. And then the other thing that shocked me today, and I knew it already, but it's different when you see it. I was like, yo, the Bears won seven games? Yo, same thing happened to me the other day when I was looking at the draft order. I was like, I thought they were in position to be the number five pick overall a few weeks well, ago. Well, they were, but then they won five out of seven. <laughs> but I'm going with Green Bay. Um, they went through this last year, you know, where Detroit came in last game of the season, knocked them out of the playoffs. You know, I don't see it happening two years in a row, so I'm going with Green Bay. Green Bay, huh? Yeah, I'm going with Green Bay. Jordan Love. Jordan Love. I love Jordan. Pause. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> I did the same thing. Uh, I think Chicago, I've read a couple articles that Matt Eberflus might be coming back. Uh-huh. There's two sides of this coin. I think it might be a good thing for like expectations. Okay. If I'm, the, if I'm ownership from the GM and we sit down and it's like I've had a conversation with you for a couple of years. We worked it out. I'm like, listen, we got the number one pick. And as as it shapes out, you're going to be between 10 to 7, maybe somewhere in that range. So you're going to have two top 10 picks here, you know, 100 days from now. On top of the fact that you're you're gonna be in this position where you can make some moves. Now, either do you make the coaching move and then try to hope this coach can come in, look at all information you have, and then make the proper personnel move, or you keep the coach you have in place 
and allow him and his staff to make the moves you need. You got Justin Fields sitting there. If I'm a, if I'm Pittsburgh, if I'm Atlanta, if I'm who needs a quarterback? I mean, Cleveland's pretty much locked in. Buffalo's locked in. Baltimore's locked in. New England. Did you say them? Uh, New England. I don't know if New England can do it because I think New England is bringing a whole cavalry. Yeah. I think New England's bringing in Belichick. Well, well what about Denver? You know, what about Arizona with the whole Kyler Murray thing? Is he going to stay? I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know what the nuance of his contract is. Because he just signed it right. prior to the injury. With Kirk Cousins, that situation? Kirk Cousins' contract might be wrapping up, but they're in a position where they can draft a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think they can go get Penix and be good to go. So Chicago's in a position where you can either draft a good quarterback right, or call New England, or not necessarily New England, but call, like, call Atlanta and say, hey, you want to get the one? What do you want to do? Or call Washington. You want to get the one? What do you want to do? Even hell, call Tampa Bay. You can call who needs a Q needs a QB right now, like realistically. Maybe Minnesota. Because I don't know if you can run it back with Kirk Cousins, because he's out until I know the Aaron kind of confused people. The Raiders, I don't they're not paying that much money to Jimmy G. They got a billion and a half dollar stadium. I'm pretty sure I can shave a few shekels to Yeah, because I mean Aiden O'Connell probably isn't the answer. Not the guy at all. Not even a little bit. So I think Chicago's in a great position of where keeping their staff in place, even keeping Justin Fields is not a bad idea if they work the number one pick and the number seven through ten pick properly. But that goes with them losing this week. <laughs> Just go ahead and lose this game. Play Justin a little bit. Take him out. Put in Tyler Banger, Banjit, whatever his name is. Keep him as a viable backup. Have him play it out. Keep your draft position because you're doing nothing for the rest of January other than evaluating talent anyway. You might as well get the guy at seven. Versus 10. You know, so all eyes up in the Pacific Northwest will be on Lambeau Field as well because the Seahawks are going to be on standby just in case the Packers do lose. The Seahawks are traveling to Arizona. Green Bay loses. Seattle wins. Seattle's in. Now, I don't know how I feel about this because last week fire some people. Well, well, last week when Arizona won that game against Philly, my thought was, "All right, so Seattle's going to go into Arizona and win." You know, whereas if Arizona would have lost to Philly, I might be more prone to pick Arizona. So I've been tossing back and forth all week long trying to figure out who I think is going to win this game. Seattle can't stop the run. Arizona can't stop the pass. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what do you do? I'm just going with Arizona. I'll take the home team. 
I was I was I was on the same thing. I was like Seattle. I think they're I think the bigger quarterback. I think DK DK Metcalf should just always be hovering around 14 to 1600 yards receiving. Because for four times a game, you should just throw him a 45-yard pass and hope he just comes down with it. Just first and 10, open the game, take the touchback from the 25-yard line. I don't care what coverage you're in. I'm throwing it up to this because every person I've ever heard talk about him Granted, everyone's not around NFL players all the time. Like I said, I stole on the field at Utah one year, and I was standing behind Zane Beatles, who ended up getting drafted as an offensive tackle by the Denver Broncos. He's one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen, like with my own eyes. Like maybe it was a shoulder pass or just like the, the mullet. Like I don't know what it was, but I remember standing here thinking like, I'm not that tall of a guy. But I'm like, my chin should be above his waist. And it barely was. So when you get a guy like DK Metcalf, everyone talks about him like, have you, like, everyone says, this is how they talk about DK Metcalf. Every, any regular person, like, I heard Bert Kreischer say, he was like, have you ever seen, he was talking to Tom Segura, he was like, have you seen DK Metcalf? And he's like, there's a, just a mountain of a man. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. He was like, he was like, one of those, most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in my life. But he was like, just the size of this person. And you look at him, he's like, they say he's 6'3", 230. Like I said, I read this stat off last week that Mitch Trubisky is 6'2", 220. Yeah. Nah. Nah. So, that's my problem with Seattle, is that you've had Lockett, who is the quintessential slot receiver, because he makes big plays downfield because he understands the matchup that he has over the the third corner trying to guard him and the safety trying to help him. Like, neither of you guys have a chance. I'm going to beat you both. But yet, DK Metcalf and the Seattle you know, Seahawks are, haven't really been in that conversation for, you know, top passing offenses. Like, yo, you have the pieces. Jackson Smith and Jigba? No offense. Like, you have the pieces. Geno Smith is six foot five, six six. He's a he's a, he's a big quarterback. He's a journeyman. He's been around. He's like, is it the coach? And if so, it's like, do you want to keep once again? Do I want to come back to this facility next week if I'm the forty third man on this roster? I don't think it's the coach. I think that Geno Smith isn't as good consistently as he was last season. Like last season was the outlier of his career, if you True. look at him. You know what I mean? So like I think that Earth just called him back. You know, um, so I don't know. I'm going with Arizona. Um to end Seattle's playoff hopes. And then I'll, I'll take it because like I said, some teams just don't belong in the playoff run from the beginning. And then in the East, you know, all Dallas has to do is go to FedEx and win. And they're your your NFC East champions. If they lose, Philadelphia has a window by beating the Giants. If they both lose somehow, then that opens up the door for Detroit to get into the second seed. But this is not. They know how to report eligible or not. 
Yeah, but I got all three of those teams winning, Dallas, Philly, and Detroit. I got all three of them winning. But here's my question. This is the this is the time for Mr. Logical to get into his bag. Ooh, you know I'm loving that. All right. Suitcase. Los Angeles Rams. Okay. I just talked I just talked about McVay and how I thought he should be coach of the year. Correct. All right. They're starting Carson Wentz against the 49ers who are starting Sam Darnold. The Rams are not, I repeat, are not locked into the sixth seed. There is a path for them to fall to the seventh. So with that being said, trying to stretch this out, if I'm the seven and everything in the chalk holds, I'm going to Dallas next week. If Dallas loses, Philadelphia wins, I'm going to Philly. If they both lose, I'm going to Detroit if I'm the seven. Or I'm sorry, yeah, if I'm the seven. If I'm the six, then you probably still end up with Detroit, you know, because right. Detroit. Three, six. Right. So should I play and try to get the six and avoid going to Dallas potentially or Dallas or Philly? Or do you just let it hang and say, no matter what, I'm just going where I go? <laughs> So Dallas wins. They're the two, no matter what. Yes, because they beat Detroit last week head to head. Yeah, I lose with Carson Wentz to San Francisco. Correct. I think that on the seven. Wins. Yes. San Francisco is locked into the one. Yes. They're not. They're playing Darnold. Uh, McCaffrey's not playing. Okay, so they're playing Sam Darnold. Am I playing Aaron Donald? If I'm playing Aaron, I'm good with not playing Stafford because we have carried the two enough film on Sam Darnold to know that he will throw one or two into the hands of one of your defenders. And, of course, Sam Donald sees it. Seeing ghosts. Yeah, he sees ghosts. <laughs> and San Francisco is the most haunted city in America. I don't know. I just made that up. But I have walked through San Francisco. And I was walking through Chinatown. You went to the restaurant. And it was like, yeah, let's walk here. And you look at the map. I was only half a mile away. And you walk out. You take a right out of the restaurant. You get to the corner. You take another right. Right. Well, that right. The hill does this. So to me, that's hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, I mean, it's oh my you know, it was bad. It was April. It was a nice, it was a nice day. It was a breeze off the bay. You know, except you were getting there, getting all hyphy. I mean, it, you know, it it was awful to walk straight uphill in San Francisco. Uh, but I think with uh, Carson Wentz and the fact that San Francisco has nothing to play for. They're probably going to play guys who might be coming off of injuries that want to get some reps in or guys that they just want guys. They just like guys. They just like, and they want to see them play well because it's a big deal in the sports team and sports culture. When the guys on the bench get in the game, even at a young age, like I said, my son's basketball team, a couple of his friends come off the bench and they're blowing kids out, the freshman basketball team. Shot Northbrook's freshman basketball team. Just 
they're blowing kids out by like 30 or 40. It's fun. Uh, and the kid to get in that we all love, and they'll shoot a three and they go in, and it's, the chaos is crazy. I imagine San Francisco is going to treat the game a lot like that. Mm-hmm. The the four-string defensive tackle that just grinds every week. He's young, 23, 24, or like a journeyman linebacker that they picked up that was on a practice squad that they're going to bring up this week so Greenlaw and Warner can rest. And, you know, they I think a lot of NFL players really believe in the practice squad guys and the scout team guys because they really work hard to prepare them for the next week. Um, even with that, I think Carson Wentz is a guy who was he was on he was on his way to win MVP, so he should be able to beat whoever San Francisco puts out there as a practice squad. I'm still picking San Francisco. Um, Sean McVay, California, the weather's time code, every everything is good to go, so that'll be all right. Sean McVay, four and ten against the 49ers, you know, but he won, but he won the one that mattered. Um, and then let's let's circle back because we did all of that. We brought up the fact that Pittsburgh and Baltimore was on Saturday, but we didn't even pick it. So, <laughs> so um, I'm gonna go ahead and pick Pittsburgh. Um, since Mason Rudolph came in, George Pickett has gone. Pickens has gone. Eleven catches for two thirty six. Uh, Baltimore sitting Lamar. So we're going to see Pro Bowl Huntley, you know. Maybe Shout out we'll, to the University of Utah. You know Tyler maybe, maybe we'll get some, uh, you know, my other guy. You know, name is slipping me. Malik Cunningham. Maybe we'll get some Malik Cunningham in there too. You know, the Ravens just signed Dalvin Cook. Great move for the playoffs. You know, so. Should have gone to Kansas City. He probably should have gone to Kansas City. That's what I was thinking. He would have got 10 touches in Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking. Can, eight I, out. Yeah, I was definitely thinking that Kansas City should have been the leader, you know. Um, if you knew who was making the playoffs, if they were already clinched, I might have liked to even seen them go to Houston. But you know, but for the nah, teams I'm that, that far. but for the teams that are like that we know that have already clinched, I thought Kansas City should have been another one. Kansas City would have made more sense because I think I think he could have been more impactful. Kansas City because I think the way Pacheco runs mirrors the way Delvin Cook runs. Whereas if he goes to Baltimore, he'll probably get six touches, 22 yards, 24 yards, because they can get what he gives them from Lamar. You know, first you could put, you know, whatever running back you have in there, a guy you have that's been on the team, like I said, practice squad guys or whatever. You can run a little play action bootleg and scramble Lamar for six yards, get out of bounds. And you've had this practice squad guy who literally did nothing but stand in the back of in the pistol. Right. Just to just to be part of the fake. Whereas if he was in Kansas City. They would have to throw that screen to him because they can't throw it to McKinnon. And that was hilarious. It's just it's obvious why you have him in the game. It's like doesn't defy you. But I mean, if you want to get a ring, I don't know how guy I don't know how guys feel about that. Because they have uh, Melvin Ingram on the team too. 
Melvin Gordon. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I don't know how – I don't know if guys really feel like – if you're a former pro bowler or a former 12, 13, 1,400-yard rusher, do you feel like you really earned your ring? Like if Odell Beckham gets a ring with Baltimore this year, do you think he's going to feel the same way he felt about the one he got in L.A.? Well, I don't know, but he said the Ravens are the best team he's ever been on. Yeah, that sounds cute because he's not in the spotlight anymore. They just talk about Odell Beckham all the time. It's very weird. It's very yeah. weird how they yeah. just stop talking about him. Yeah. He's been in the league this whole year. I don't know how many games he's missed, but the years when he was injured, all they talked about was Odell Beckham Jr. and how many games he missed and how many games he missed with Eli and how many games he missed in L.A. and the paint on the field and everything else. But it just seemed like that. I don't even want to call it a fall from grace. It just it just felt as if. I mean, it's just unfortunate. No, just the conversation around him. Like, they, no one's talked about him all year. Yeah. He got $18 million this year, which is dope. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. You know, but as we journey around the football world, we make another stop back in college football. Yeah, you know. this is a nice heated debate we had in our first in our pre meeting. By the way, folks, it'll be I watered promise. down now because we kind of ironed out some things. I put Mike on the I, game. I, I, I promise. Up what I was saying, you know, he's on my I, side now. I, I promise that you know, saying this is not going to turn into a Florida State conversation. <laughs> but uh, Florida State's even, not the problem. I think Florida State. Well, is, no, I mean, but they're the genesis. I think they're, they're the genesis. They're the, light, for, they're the lighthouse. They're the lighthouse but, that drew attention to the point. Yeah, yeah, they brought the attention to it to, for us yeah. to have this conversation at least because on, on, we were, on, on like this, 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 this macro scale, like this. Yeah, because we were talking about the bowling games. We were talking about nil. We were talking about players like uh, Dylan Riola, who committed to Georgia. Didn't even step foot on campus, and now he's a corn husker. You know, um, but he's from Nebraska, so that he's makes from sense. Nebraska. And I said, "Well, his ass shouldn't have went to Georgia in the first place." Well, like I said in my rebuttal to that, Judge Wilson was that he is a nineteen-year-old who might not want to leave his girlfriend behind. I don't want to be facetious. He might not want to leave his hometown behind. You and I left for the military very young. I was 18 and about eight months when I left. How old were you when you left? I was 18. Yeah, so I had been 18 for about two months. Yeah, so I was 18 to eight months when I left Virginia to join the military. <clears throat> um, so I was ready to go. And we talked about this. Uh shout out to we'll, you know, we're going to try to incorporate more military traditions in these conversations so you guys know we were two veterans and not just the stuff on the wall. But we had this thing called Zero Week. Zero Week is because you would get to basic training. You go to MEPS. Um, you fly in. So your recruiter will pick you up from MEPS Monday night. Mm-hmm. In Virginia, we drove wherever you went to. They took you to Richmond, Virginia, state capital. We stayed at this hotel. The hotel had a nightclub in the middle of it. It was weird. It was very loud. I'm like, it's popping on the Tuesday night. So then Wednesday morning, 4 a.m., they woke you up. They drove you over to the, the government building, the MEPS building. Uh, you did your 
you did your breathalyzer. Make sure you weren't drinking the night before, which seems irrelevant if I'm going to see you in the basic training that night. If you're drunk, it's 5 a.m., but whatever. Um, either you, you did your urinalysis somewhere in that time, by 7, 8 a.m., you did your urinalysis. So then you get on the plane. You get to San Antonio if you're Air Force. You go to different places if you're Marines, Army, Navy, whatever the case may be. But you got the Lackland Air Force Base, you San Antonio Airport. They had you lined up Indian style sitting on the floor in San Antonio. You got to the uh, you get to your dorm and they have your bags and they'll do to put them down, pick them up, put your bag mm-hmm. down, pick them up. I don't want to hear any sounds when you put your bags on the ground. I'm like, how am I going to do this? It's a buckle on my bag, whatever. And you're in there. And I was like Wednesday. So Wednesday through Sunday was considered zero week. In that time frame, there was like you go get your blood test, you get some shots, things like that. I need get your uniforms. And if you did a, a blood test for like sickle cell, and they said, "Hey, you know, you can stay in, or you can leave." Mm-hmm. I remember in my zero week, what we would have is guys basic training back then was only six weeks. So guys who were going to a six week of training, six weeks started like the beginning of the week on Sunday. So we would be babysitting the guys who were in for zero week. So if you're in your six week of training, you would be the babysitters for the guys who just got there for zero week. I remember talking to a guy. He's like, they told me I got sickle cell. I'm gone. I miss my mama. I'm like, you've only been here. It was like, so you got there Wednesday. It might have been Saturday. I'm like, dog, you just got here. Like, trust me, like, I'm about to leave. I'm leaving Monday morning. It's it's way easier than you think it is. These last 48 hours is nothing. I'm, I'm literally whispering this to him in the bed, like, next to him at the bed. I'm like, dog, it's not that bad. Just ride it out. He was like, nah, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm done. Called my mom in the morning. I'm leaving. I'm going home. And I'm like, I don't go like, dog, it's not that bad. You be all right. You be all right, dog. Just be all right. You be all right. And he was ready to go. So I'm like, all right. I gave you all the information I could about the experience that I had over these six weeks. You want to leave, you can leave. I think guys are getting to that point where it's like you get told it's great. Your recruiter tells you it's great. Your family who hears it, oh, Mike, you going to the Air Force? Girl, yeah, there was a great job. You know, your cousin did this. Your cousin did that. He went to the Army. He went to the Marines. Blah, blah, blah. Everyone said they wish you'd gone to the Air Force. And they'll tell you all these great stories about going to the Air Force. And then you get there, you're like, I don't want to be here. I want to leave. And you're allowed that because you're young and you're going to make that decision. And I think a lot of these guys going to the transfer portal are like, I want to go to Ohio State. It seems like a lot of fun when I watch it on TV. It seemed like so much fun when they brought me to the game and gave me my little badge and I got to walk onto the field. You know what I'm saying? Brought the strippers through. And they they, they brought the board games and the Monopoly and the PS5s and all the other things, forms of entertainment through whatever dorm room or hotel apartment you're staying in. But when it comes out to us, like, listen, after you get more, more information, you think, you know what? I probably shouldn't have done this. Like, if you're like, I know some guys that joined the Marines, like, man, I wish I would have joined the Air Force. I'm like, it's cool. It's dope. My dad was in the Army. The reason I joined the Air Force is because my dad was in the Army. Because I have a conversation with an Air Force guy. 
about going TDY. My dad's like, yeah, we'd be in a tent. Y'all would be in a hotel. And I'm like, I'm not going to Air Force. I'm not going to military anyway. I I hold up. A, a, a bed and not a cot? Okay, sign me up. Yeah, and he's like, hey, y'all got a rental van. We out here walking. I was like, huh. That's a weird job to sign up for. And yeah, <laughs> for all y'all that- army cats out there, I still ended up with plantar fasciitis anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I still, listen, I was in a tent on my first deployment with 11 dudes who worked field shop. You know so what I'm saying? With like the scorpions. My tent. I killed the mouse. Oh, the you were you were in like the uh the seventy person the, tent. No, we beat. Okay, them. okay. okay. Yeah. I was in the another, I was in the twelve person tent. Check it out. Another another military tangent. We'll get back on track. We promise. But this is part of it. So, I was in Germany. So we flew. We got the message on a Monday, but I got to work. Hey, pack up. You're gonna be leaving on Thursday. I'm like, yo, dog. It's Monday. It's seven fifteen Monday morning. I'm like, yeah. You're going to be on a plane like 1230 Thursday. I'm like, that doesn't seem realistic. I'm like, yo, can I go? They're like, yeah, you're going. <laughs> like, you're, I'm like, where? I was excited to go. So Wednesday came around and said, hey, you guys are leaving on Sunday morning at 2 a.m. So I got my last trip to the club Friday night. Saturday, I'm chilling. Didn't have stripes, name things for my uniform, anything. So we get to mobility at like midnight, Friday night, Saturday morning. Our plane was leaving at 2 a.m. I knew guys that came straight from the club, literally out of the club, chilling, drinking, hanging out, partying, straight to the jet. We got on the DC-10. We flew from Germany to Cyprus, Cyprus to IUD. Got the IUD. They laid our bags out. We got the 13-man tents. Some people came from another base in North Carolina, Seymour Johnson, they flew on a, a military my plane. Yeah. yeah. They flew on a military plane to and they got they stopped in Spain. The thing that happens with uh military aircraft is that you're only allowed to leave certain bases if you have XYZ level of just capable capabilities. It's like, yo, you can't leave unless you get this kind of clearance. Like you can't fly at night. You can't do this, whatever. I'm not giving away any trade secrets or anything crazy like that. <laughs> but in that conversation was like, they couldn't leave. They couldn't leave Spain after they got there because they, they were, there were some stipulations that well, they couldn't leave until like a day and a half later. I don't know what it was. The crew. Crew rest. Case, maybe crew rest. Crew, yeah. A lot, lot of things like that factor into you taking a military vessel, equipment, parts, you know, capability, whatever case may be. So we left Sunday, 2 a.m. I get there 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. They didn't get there to the following night. And everybody I was talking to, like, oh, yeah, we were in Spain for like two days. It was great. I'm like, yeah, that's dope. I've been stationed in Germany for two years. And if you would have gotten here on time, you'd be in a tent with 12 roommates. But yet you're in a tent with 71 roommates. So yeah. hope you have fun in Spain for the two days, but now you're gonna spend the next six months in this Barney tent with 71 people. You know, it's like they did, they had a rule they couldn't turn their lights off. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, we can't turn our lights off. I'm like, you just in the tent all day long with your, the lights on? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you should have got here two days earlier. 
because we were in there chilling. So yeah, Advon baby, Advon. <laughs> you Advon guy. See, I wasn't Advon guy, but like I said, we just I was already in Europe. Well, Esther actually had it better. They were the ones that always broke somewhere, you know. But uh, but yeah, like so. But when I look at Dylan Raiola, you know, I'm looking at it like you didn't even like you didn't even go to campus yet, though. Like you know what I mean? Like it'd be one thing if you went and you were like, hey, this ain't for me or I don't feel the same way. I feel different, whatever. But it's like you didn't even try. You were just like, yo, not going, you know, whatever the case may be. But I was more so um, also thinking about Kyle McCord, you know, from the standpoint, because he's the other side of this, where he went to Ohio State, played starting quarterback, played all season, um, was a freshman, but People are mad that he wasn't C.J. Stroud or he wasn't Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins, rest in peace and all that stuff like that. But he's now at Syracuse. And I had to think about it when we started the conversation. It wasn't in my thought process. But as the conversation went on, I was like, but hey, Ohio State probably told him, pack your shit. (laughs) Versus him leaving and being like, yeah. yeah, like it was more like, you know, like with Florida State, you know, like this ain't a Florida State conversation. I'm just saying, you know, the week of the Orange Bowl, Tate Rodemaker, who was in line to start the Orange Bowl, decided he was going to go to the transfer portal. And a lot of Florida State fans were upset. How could he do this the week of the bowl game? X, Y, Z. But when you turn on ESPN, the first thing you hear is Florida State is probably in the lead for Cam Ward. And if they don't get Cam Ward, then DJ Uyangale is getting crystal ball to go to Florida State. So if I'm Tate Rodemaker, it's like, why am I going to play this bowl game? Do you a favor that y'all just going to evict me, you know, or at the very least, I got to compete for the job that I thought I had. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of crazy transfers. Uh, some of them make sense, some of them don't. I'm looking at them now. As you were talking, I was like, ask me some more that are kind of in line with this McCord. Because with McCord, I give you an example. I was talking to one of the one of the dads. He was uh one of my son's former coaches, and my son played quarterback for half the season with high school year. And one of the things he said was like he got his son a throwing coach he's like he didn't like that guy he's like i want to you know try him out he's like the downside of playing quarterback is that even at the high school level you only play quarterback you know unless you're like truly dynamic if you are the especially if you're the backup right you're just you're just waiting so you you don't do any hitting drills you get that linebacker you don't get to be running back like i said unless you're truly dynamic well for the most part he was like it's like it's almost if I'm paying for a coach for my son to be a better thrower, then I need to be assured that he's gonna start quarterback. Right. Well, if I'm a quarterback and I get to college and all I can do is wait behind the other guy that's starting, and you're gonna bring in another guy that could potentially start ahead of me. Cause how good would it look? How would it look for McCord if he's sitting there and Riola? The guy that we said was supposed to go to Georgia flips and comes to Ohio State. Five-star recruit. He flips. He's coming to Ohio State. 
you're not a five star is not flipping to your school. So this guy who couldn't beat Michigan gets to start again. Hell, we talk about Ryan Day not being able to be the coach next year from a team. And I think he's lost, what, three, maybe four games over the last few years. Yeah, I think his record is something like 56 and seven. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they're looking at him like he might not be able to be the coach next year. So if and, I'm and player, three of those losses like, are to Michigan. <laughs> if I'm the player, I'm like, yo, if they're about to get rid of the coach. And he has less than seven losses. What are they going to do to me when they get this guy as a five-star? So they, they leave. But the narrative that they pump out on on podcasts like ours, which are more local, and we're going to get more nationally syndicated this year. That's the plan. But you have nationally syndicated podcasts are saying stuff like, oh, this is an NIL deal, no doubt about it. It's like you can't look at it that way because you, if you look at it through that lens of the glasses the guy didn't give you, and then when you come back and get the facts, it's like, yeah, realistically, it's like, yo, if I'm sitting here, you're going to bring your three guys to compete for my one job. All I can do – it's not like I'm a wide receiver who can put on 15 pounds and play safety, linebacker, or put on 30 pounds if I can and play tight end or defensive end. I got five or six options. Or shift and keep my same weight and be like, well, I'll be one of the four running backs. But if I'm a quarterback and you bring in three guys, the likelihood will be either beating out all three guys, the guy you picked out that you gave the most money to in a scholarship, maybe NIL bill, because most NIL bills don't come from the school. Your scholarship money comes from the school. The NIL deal comes from, you know, your family name, Manning, Sanders, James. You know, you got Libby Dunn. She's up there. She's in the top three of your know, earners first NIL. Most of these guys are just getting, they're probably getting some deals. They're probably getting some money in the yeah, conversation. I think, we saw, I think we saw that company that money. Ford, is that about uh, 308000 I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these guys, there is, I'm pretty sure there's a legal conversation about money. But it's not life-changing changing money. It's 19-year-old life-changing money. Like if someone, I got a 12000 bonus, $12,000 bonus joining the Air Force. It was six when I had my initial conversation. It went from six to seven. And when I got the MEPS, because I was willing to leave before May 31st of that year, it went to 12. In my mind, at 18, that was life-changing money. So I can get a conversation with a guy 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, and the NIL deal is going to give you $300,000, $400,000. I don't think that's the motivation because I don't think every kid moving is getting that deal. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just a matter of I can go play. Like you got Marvin Jones, edge rusher from Georgia, going to Florida State. He knows those guys that were at Florida State didn't play this year, so he knows there's a spot open for him. Uh, you got Malik Murphy going from Texas to Duke. He know Riley Leonard transferred out, and he comes in. Let me look at his measurables. I believe he's like six five. Uh, what is? I'm trying to get his number. It's about six five two thirty or something like that. Rocket arm. He's like, I know I'm a viable candidate. Malik Nelson transferring out of USC. He's like, it's not working out for me. I think guys are making decisions based off of the fact that some of them are probably making prematurely. 
Some have less information than these. Some guys are going off of some homesickness. Some guys might be going off of the money. But I don't think it's holistically an NIL deal. These coaches are making it seem like it's an NIL problem because if you regulate the NIL, if you regulate the transfer portal, it only helps them because they have to do less work. If you, if the NCAA says you got to do two years minimum, if you go to a school and you go in as a freshman or a redshirt and you do one year at that school and you transfer out, you got to do two years at your next school. It makes it easier for every coach. Mm-hmm. The coach doesn't have to do anything. Well, it's, he just complains in the media. Well, well, that, all the guys are getting money, and it makes the NCAA do their job for them. So I think the so I think the problem is, and I think NIL, and I was guilty of it too. I think NIL is just the easy buzzword to attach to it. You know, um, I think the problem is is that. One of the things that college football had over the NFL, and this is regardless of if you're a big college football fan like me or you're just a dude that knows what college football is, like college had the perception of loyalty. You know, if you went to Florida State, you were there to beat Miami. That's a great great statement. Perception of loyalty. Yeah, you were there to beat Miami. If you go to Michigan – you're there for the big game, end of the season, every Thanksgiving weekend, punch Ohio State in the mouth. You know, whereas in the NFL, we saw somebody like, say, T.O. play for Dallas and then go to Philadelphia the next year. He would have played for Washington if they would have traded for him. Yeah, he would have played for Washington if they would have traded for him. So, So now that we have this NIL, these coaches are upset because as a coach, I came into your living room. I sat here with your mom and pops. And I sold to them why you shouldn't trust me with the next four years of your life. Now you came here for a year and I got to recruit you all over again. You know what I mean? So it turned into. We saw what the grandma said about Dante Moore's grandma talked about Chip Kelly. Kelly, Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. So, so as the, so as you might not be as good as a recruiter as you think. And I think that's the problem. Nick Saban hasn't said a single thing about the NIL. Except for blaming Jim Lovell. No, no, no. No, no, no. He didn't say anything about the NIL. He just said Texas A&M is buying their players. He didn't say, hey, the NIL is costing me players. He simply said that this guy is taking players from me because you guys, booster-wise, you're not giving me enough money. That's not the same thing. Whereas, what's your boy name up in Pitt? What's his name? Uh, Narduzzi. Or Narduzzi. He keeps talking about how other schools are taking his players versus going to his boosters and saying, listen, man, y'all need to set up some fundraisers. You know who went to Pitt? Kenny Pickett. Dan Marino. You need to call these guys and say, hey, man. Tony Dorsett. Because, like I said, Larry Nick, Saban, Nick Saban's never said any, I think Nick Saban's been the – we'll probably – we'll talk about Darrell the Darrell Revis. The – John Connor or James Taylor Connor. Fitzgerald. John Connor. James Connor. Yeah. Taylor yeah, Fitzgerald was there. Yeah. So, so that's the difference. It's not a matter of the NIL is negatively impacting these coaches. It's the fact that you don't know how to make it pop. 
Right. It's like if you like if you like we'll use military term again. When I was in Germany, being young and black with your hat down low, you were gonna attract attention. I don't need to get in more detail than that, but that was the case. Right. If you're young and black in Germany, you're gonna attract attention. Right. I was an avionics guy. I was a young black avionics guy in tech school on Lackland. Same thing. When I got to Korea, you had to work at it a little bit more. You had to work at it to stand out because the numbers weren't in your favor. So what you had to do, either you could be mad that you're not getting any attention or you can learn from people who were getting the attention. You know, dog, how, how are you doing that? Like, and, and, and build on your skills. These coaches aren't building on their skills because they've probably been in the game. If you're a coach and you are and you're 55 and you've been coaching in NCAA since you're 35. So you've been coaching since like early 2000s. You've had a stranglehold on how kids can move between basketball, football, mainly basketball and football. You've had a stranglehold on that, that process. And then 18, 19, 20 years into your process, they just said, nope. These guys now have more leverage than you've ever expected them to have. Well, well, where I was, well, where I was going with that was um, just from the standpoint of seeming as if we have free agency, you know, from the because like you were there for four years, you were there for three years, and then you left for the draft or whatever you did. But now you can literally sign up for the school and leave before. You know the season even starts. So, but Russell so Wilson was a graduate transfer, so it was. Uh, but that's different. Wilson. That's different. That's different. Yeah, but I'm that's. Ta- I'm talking about. I'm talking about different. year to year. I'm talking about year to year. You know, you were the starting quarterback at this school, this top tier school, and the coach has to sit back down and act like it's day one all over again in your living room. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. You know, or you're just going to take your ball like, like, like Travis Etienne, his uh, his little brother, his little brother. Yeah, you know, looking at it right now. You know, went from Florida to Georgia. You know what I mean? Like, where they do that at? That's not a college football thing. When you're back talking then, to- they didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They all on me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's I mean, where Brian I think Kelly didn't go from Cincinnati to Notre Dame to LSU because he was loyal to Cincinnati, and then loyal to Notre Dame and now Correct. he's loyal because if Jim Harbaugh flies, flies down to Georgia and takes an interview with Arthur Blank and Arthur Blank gives him a blank check and gets rid of Arthur Smith, Brian Kelly will fly up to Ann Arbor and take that Correct. job. So I think it's just the sheer number of it. The number of players moving right. is not is not resonating. I think the numbers look crazy. Well, you saw it like the, the, the first day that the portal was open, it was something like eleven hundred people. Lane Kiffin says something I've ever that at least set it set the date. And Joel Klatt said this, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't want to get it. I don't want to get it wrong, but I want to give him credit for the the structures I did on presenting. He was like, "There's no reason to have a gap." from the last college football regular season game to now to start the playoffs. He's like, we should go from last regular season game and start our bowl season. College football playoff, you know, game or the whatever the case may be. And he's like, the national championship should be on January 1st. 
The national championship is over. We've crowned our champion. We've all lived off of the hype that came from the October and November and December football. We crowned our champion January 1st. January 2nd, the portal opens. And now you have your calendar right. So now the portal the portal's open from January 2nd to February 28th. That, um, like he, I don't know if he said that, but I'm just like using well, as, as, problem as, is, is that he was talking uh, about his championship open being until, open. Well, I think right now it's open until January 15th. And the thinking behind you, that is, is to, to be able to be eligible for spring football, you have to be enrolled at your new school by a certain date. Or change the date until change the date until rules have to do that. Like you, you, college football, so can't you got, do that. Yeah, like the universities, the universities like, have to change their the universities like, not going to change their semesters just for football. No, players. not even the semesters. Yes, they will. They change their GPAs for football players. It was dudes in North Carolina that couldn't read the alphabet, and they were playing. They're not going to read the whole school year just to let some football players in. Why not? You take classes, you take an assessment online, and now you get your fall right in line with the second semester classes starting February 1st. But then you're ineligible for that I'm, spring football. I'm, no, you don't have to be. You're on a football team. That's you're the, football. I, mean, you're I don't know why you would change the rule just because. Because we got to be honest. No one cares if you can read, if you can tackle. Can you read the defense? <laughs> Julius Peppers, what's up? Let's, let's, let's keep it. Let's keep it a bean. It was dudes on North Carolina's football team all taking African American studies classes that didn't exist. It was teachers' assistants teaching these guys how to read the alphabet. <laughs> we need to stop fronting like when you are there for athletics. I'm not saying you can't be an athlete and intelligent, but they will make a concession for you if you're an athlete. You can't read, but you can run a four two. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop, stop with the facade. Let's stop it. You don't give a shit if these dudes are in class or not. That 18, 20, 22 million dollars you get from bowl games does not go to new books because the people at the school yeah, pay for their own uh, books out of their pockets were, anyway. I think they were saying like John Wall, like after the winter semester, like they never saw that man on campus again. <laughs> Most of these dudes, they go, they get ESPN TV shows. Hey, rookie. That starts in January. <laughs> they all go to San Diego. Every single prospect <laughs> goes to San Diego. And they out there with Carson Palmer's little brother, Jordan, throwing routes. You know, like, it's cut the cap. Like, no one cares. Like, no one cares about the academics for those 12 to 18 kids per football team. For the most part, the hundreds of football players on your team and the practice squad guys and the walk-ons and the swimmers and the basketball players and all the guys that aren't going pro – all those guys are going to pay $40,000 a year to get to the school, whatever the case may be, through loans or grants or whatever they're going to do. Mm-hmm. The exceptional six to eight guys that you have that could potentially be professionals, they are not going to care, nor do you care. So don't get on TV, act like you do care. Just cut it out. So you alter it to where you have guys, because I shouldn't be preparing for a bowl game on December 18th, and my starting quarterback walks in and says, hey, coach, I'm transferring to Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I got four new plays for you to run right now. They're up on my dry race board. They're like, nah, coach. Or you could uh, be like Napier t- called me and told me that I'm going to start next year. Uh, their four-star guy that they had decommitted, and now he's going to Colorado. So they you have to be like. Me. Or you could be like Tate Rodemaker and leave three days before the damn Orange Bowl. 
<laughs> I mean, just any day, any day you leave before playing the game, like I, it could be in the parking lot. The fact that you are able to do that, there's nothing in place that says you can't do that. Because, it, like right now, Delvin Cook, we talked about earlier, Delvin Cook got cut and signed with the Ravens. But the Ravens, you know, the Jets couldn't trade him tomorrow or yesterday for assets for the future draft. The only thing to do is cut him. Right. And now he's just an, an able bodied man in America who could play football. Go try that's to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's different. So, like, I think Lane Kiffin, like, look, at least give it to where the bowl season's over. Mm-hmm. You can opt out. That's fine. If you don't want to play, but it's like you're opting out because you're transferring. But, but you're how many players play. would play, though? Because it goes back to just, just like could, we talked about. They probably still could opt out. They probably Yeah, because, I mean, we talk out. about the players that don't play because but I'd rather you opt out because you, you have something potentially pending that starts and that conversation legally is allowed to start on January 2nd versus someone recruiting you actively December 1st. And they, but it's, and still, they but it's, still, the, but it's still the same concept, though. Like, what if Tate Rodemaker plays against Georgia and tears his ACL? Then he doesn't. Then he doesn't you know, get the next thing. spot. But like, if you don't have an operational body, I can't have you play. I can't have a spot for you in my team. And it's awful. <clears throat> and I get it. But in the same sense, it has to be some protections for the the team. You're like, yo, how? Like. In the NFL, right? Well, now. it's just like it's just like life. Who's you up know? for a contract? We talk about OG Ananobi, right? This guy traded to the Knicks, right? If the Lakers could offer him five years, one hundred and seventy-five million dollars, he shouldn't be able to take it right now and not play for the Knicks for the rest of the year. <laughs> well, I think I think it's just like anything in life, you know. And I guess we'll wrap up on this note. You yeah. know, it's just it's it's just like you know. I always say, men treated women like shit for centuries upon centuries. And there are some of us men out here that are trying to treat women as equals and do the right thing, but we've kind of gone too far the other way. And that's kind of where we are. The players were being screwed. The players weren't getting paid. They weren't making any of the money that school was making from these TV deals. So now the pendulum has gone too far the other so the way. Expectation of concessions is like, yo, I want it all. Me so, you treat me so bad for so long. I'm it's just take like advantage of every 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 nook and cranny I can squig- swiggle into. I will. Yeah, it's like take everything you got. Wouldn't you like to get away? You know, what I'm saying it's just like that. But yo, he is. The one and only, Mr. Logical. Put on your neck. You know, I am 2-5. Letting all the naysayers know that we love you, America. We'll we'll see you on Monday. Subscribe. Share. It's all free. Tell your grandma. Tell your grandma. Tell your auntie, too. And since Mr. Logical brought up MEPS, I wouldn't be right. If I didn't shout out Miss Terea Fowler, you know, you know, the date was October 5th, 1999 <laughs> at the Red Roof Inn. <laughs> Terea, hope you're doing good out there. Hope everything, Yo, hope life is treating you good. 
check it out. What is this? Today's January 4th. I'm going to say real talk. I'm not even exaggerating. I'm going to check. I'm going to go back and check the calendar. But I'm pretty sure January 6th, 2000 is when I swore in for my job while I was going to basic training May 17, 2000. And I remember I was like, yo, I got to wait five months to like, we can send you some other job. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll take this bonus. See, you could have just, just went to the transfer portal and went to the Navy. I didn't. <laughs> I just went back home. I got my little check from MCI Worldcom. Me and Jonathan went to the beach for like three or four months. And then I yeah, speaking of which, board. now that I got a podcast, speaking of which, and Leon Wall, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what rank you retired as, but Master Sergeant Leon Wall, you was wrong. For separating me and Mike Wilson, we were supposed to fly on that buddy flight together. I ain't never forgave you for that. <laughs> yo, shout out to Raya, whatever Leon Wall. Yo, shout out, yo, shout out to to Guy Hale. He went to uh, he was stationed at Guam. His license plate said Guali. I was like, why are they call you that? He's like, oh, they couldn't pronounce my name in Guam. They used to call me Guali. So shout out to Sergeant Hale, Texar Guy Hale got me in this week 24 years ago when i saw my recruiter 18 years old optimism through the roof it hasn't changed i'm still optimistic shout out to everybody keep watching the show shout out everybody keep sharing the show optimism doesn't die until you die let's go see you next week peace